I'd like to begin by asking you to think for a minute who um, comes to your mind as one of the greatest leaders you've known. That, that might be in your current life and people you've actually worked with or under or coaches or whatever, or just in history. Who would come to your mind as a, as a great leader? Um, you know I like war movies and uh, history. And as I was thinking about this sermon and the great leaders that I would think of, uh, for me, one who came to mind, and this is from the movie, not the real person, but his name was Joshua Chamberlain. And he was the commander of the 20th Maine at the Battle of Gettysburg. And led his unit in a phenomenal day of battle. It was the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg. And the 20th Maine was at the very left end of the Union line. And the Confederates were coming from all sides, and if they were able to get around the 20th Maine, they would get behind the Union Army, and Gettysburg would have been a totally different outcome. And Chamberlain had been told that, you cannot withdraw no matter what. They fought all day, attack after attack after attack of the Confederate armies. They were down to, some of the soldiers had no ammunition left, some had one shot left. And the threat was very real that the Confederates were coming again. In fact, they were. And, of course, all of the soldiers and all of the officers under Chamberlain were saying, we've got to withdraw. And he knew, he had been told, you cannot withdraw. And so he stood up before his soldiers and he says, fix bayonets. We're going to charge. And it's great in the movie because all of his soldiers are like, what? They didn't believe they could have heard him correctly. And of course he did mean it. And his unit, under his leadership, charged down that hill and defeated the Confederates in that area for the rest of the day. Chamberlain won the National Congressional Medal of Honor. But it was really his unit, the 20th Maine, that he led into doing something that was impossible. And yet he led them to do that. The truth is we all know great leaders. Maybe we've had the fortunate experience of working under a great leader or a great coach. A great teacher. We've seen great politicians accomplish amazing things. We know the leaders are out there. But there's a problem today and that is that it seems like there's a shortage of great leaders. And as a result of it, we struggle with leadership today. In many ways, we are in a culture right now that sees authority as a bad word. We're cynical about leaderships. We're skeptical. We're questioning. We challenge. We're very uncooperative when it comes to leaders today. And it's not that there aren't leaders who've caused this problem. There have been many leaders who have proven they couldn't be trusted. And they have disillusioned us. But part of the result of that is we've come to see all authority is bad. It's part of this postmodern culture. The very words leadership and especially authority have come to have negative connotations. The problem is... Society, groups, 
culture, nations, need leadership. And without leadership, the system breaks down. Everything begins to break down. We need leaders. If that's a group of 20 people trying to accomplish a job and organize a clothing drive, Carrie thanked three leaders, the women who organized that drive. We needed that. Whether it's a school or a sports team or a business or a unit in the military, we need leaders to function. Obviously, good leaders. It shouldn't surprise us, therefore, that as Peter is getting close to the end of his letter to these Christians who are facing opposition, as we've looked this summer, where it's no longer popular to be a Christian, who does Peter write to? He writes to the leaders and the followers. Because he knows that any group that is facing tough times, it is especially important in tough times to have good leadership. And that the leaders and the followers are working together. Because they need to be working together if they're going to handle the opposition that's coming to them. And so Peter writes to them and begins with the leaders as he talks about the importance of leadership for the Christians. I want to begin with the first four verses of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. I've seen his sufferings. I've experienced his sufferings. I'm going to see his glory too. And I'm an elder like you. I'm writing to you fellow elders. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There's three words in the New Testament that are used for the leaders in the church. And due to church history, we've gotten some confusion about them. The three words are one, elders. And the connotations of the word elder is they are, they are older, but mainly they are wiser. They are more experienced. They were the people who sat at the city gates that you could take your problems to and say, what should I do? Or they were the ones who had the knowledge of Scripture to explain God's word. Those were the elders. But another word that is also used are bishops. Think of them as administrators, those who were good at organizing, those administrative kind of folks. And there were the shepherds, where we get our word pastors. The shepherds who cared for the sheep. Now church history has watched those three words evolve into three different groups. Bishops run denominations, pastors are clergy who've had ordination, and elders are whatever else. But the truth is, if you look at the New Testament, they're just three hats that the leaders wore. They weren't three different groups in the New Testament. 
They were the elders. They wore that hat. Sometimes they had to wear the uh, episcopos, the bishop hat, the administrator hat. And sometimes they had to wear the shepherd hat. It's interesting in this passage, Peter talks about the elders, but he also talks about Jesus as the chief shepherd. He's an elder too. And these elders are to be shepherds. You begin to see how they wove together because leaders needed to wear all of those hats at different times. It's interesting to me that of those three titles, even though he begins with elder, when the church was facing opposition, Peter wanted to talk about their shepherding hat. Because that was probably the most important hat for them to wear. As a group is under stress, some of the most important players in that group are going to be the, the people who are needing to shepherd that group, to, to care for it. Uh, if you think about just what a shepherd does, forget the church, forget people, just think sheep and shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? Well, he provides for the sheep, makes sure they got enough grass, they got enough water, protects the sheep. He's the one who sits around the campfire at night and walks around watching and listening for wolves coming. Anything bad coming to attack the flock. And obviously walks among the sheep every day to make sure and see if there's a, sheep, a sick sheep. That's a challenge. And watching to see if there's a sheep limping or something isn't acting right about a sheep to see what does that sheep need. And making sure that flock is going to good places and thinking down the road, the grass is going to be gone here this week. Where's the next grass? And we need to start heading that way. And providing what those sheep are going to need, not just today, but down the road. For every sheep. I don't think we should be surprised that that's the leader hat that Peter wants to talk about when the church is facing opposition. The church is going to need shepherds who are moving among you and watching and trying to make sure everyone's provided for and cared for. Pointing that flock in the right direction. Well, there's some, see, there's some things Peter lists in this passage that what I would say make for a good leader. And I'd like to pick out a few of those words. I think there's an implication in there that the ones that God has called, they're the leaders that God wants in place. A other place in the New Testament, we're seeing that leadership is a spiritual gift that God gives to some. A lot of times you see churches in our American culture that make leadership a, a, a popularity contest. It's a democracy, so everybody votes for the person they like the most. Or sometimes it's the most successful businessman in the church, and so obviously he must be a good leader, make him an elder. But, but the reality the New Testament pictures is that people are, some people are called to be leaders. Just like some are called to be teachers and some are called for hospitality and, and some are called for serving and teaching and all those gifts. One of those gifts is there are some people that God has equipped and called and said, I need you to be one of those shepherds, one of those leaders in my church. But not for yourself. And there's two things Peter specifically says. This isn't about money. And in our form of government, church government, that we think, well, of course it's not about money. But in the New Testament, the church helped fund the elders. So they had time from their jobs 
to take care of the flock. And so it could be that you said, I want to be a leader because I know the church will give me money. And he said, don't ever do that. Don't get into leadership because of what you're going to gain, including the power you're going to gain. The people will look up to you. It's not about power. It's not about fame. It's not about money. And if you're trying to be a leader for those reasons, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. It should be about, God wants me to do that. It should be about wanting to be a servant. Sort of like the communion meditation Brent talked about where Jesus loved God enough to do what God needed. Leaders in the church need to be there because they love God enough and they feel God's hand on their life saying, I need you to lead this flock. And they say, okay, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do that. And you see, it's out of that heart of love for the Father and for the flock then that leader is willing, though they are a leader, to be a servant. To give up time, to, to sacrifice, to do what's best for the group, the sheep. To spend a sleepless night by the campfire because you're watching for wolves for the sheep's benefit, not your benefit. That's what leaders need to do in the church because that's how Christ lived. That's the kind of leader he was. He says himself, the, the pyramid in the church is flipped upside down. And greatness is in, in the church is being the greatest servant. The bottom of that pyramid is always Jesus himself. But Peter would say, and Paul would say the same thing, right above Jesus would be the leaders. Modeling Jesus and willing to serve for what is best for the flock, for the sheep. But it's interesting that Peter doesn't stop there. He challenges the leaders to step up to the plate and to be the servant leaders that they need to be, that this flock is going to need. But Peter also talks about followership. Now, I already got checked on that, and, and you may not find that word, but it really is a word. My comeback when somebody said, that's not a word, I said, well, you can buy books in Amazon entitled that, so it must be a word. But the reality is, and Peter acknowledges this, he knows it, the reality is that leadership is a joint venture. And it's interesting, some of those books in Amazon about followership talk about the truth that good leaders also need good followers. And that it is a cooperative venture. It's just like a coach if a team doesn't listen to the coach. It needs everybody working together for this structure to function. Followers have a leader, have a role as much as leaders do. The writer of Hebrews talks about this. If you turn over to Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews speaks to the followers and says this, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account to God, obviously. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you, the followers. Isn't that interesting? 
The writer of Hebrews says you need to help your leaders be followers working with them because if you don't, if you make their job too bad, you're the ones who will lose. The, 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 the cooperative effort won't work and it won't only be the leaders who suffer. It will be you, the followers. And it's interesting that Peter draws on that same concept because he turns and talks to the followers. The reality is today in the church, today in any part of our culture, it's not easy to be a leader. If, if you work in law enforcement, it's not easy to be a leader today. If you work in a school, it's not easy to be a leader today. Uh, if you work in anywhere in the public sector, it's not easy to be a leader today. If you work anywhere in this country right now, it's not easy to be a leader. And it's not easy to be a leader in the church today. Because some of that culture comes in of cynicism, of mistrust, of challenging and questioning and we struggle with that. And especially if the church is facing opposition and struggles out there, that that never be allowed to come in here. I remember years ago in a different church, after a particularly difficult year, one of the men who'd been an elder, his term was up. And he said, I'm not running again. It had been a rough year. He said, being an elder is the most unspiritual thing I've ever faced. And I understood why he said that. But I also knew that that church had just lost a good elder who was so exhausted from what he'd faced as a leader that he said, I need a break. And there is a reality there that good leaders also need good followers. What makes a good follower? Well, that's where we go back to Peter because he talks about that. He's spoken to the leaders and he's challenged them. As the writer of Hebrews says, you're accountable to God for how you lead. And that's a heavy burden. But he also turns to the followers. In verses 5 and 6, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. We talked about that word submit because Peter talked to the husbands and the wives earlier and we looked at it. If you were here those Sundays, you know we talked about submitting to standing under. And it isn't interesting that Peter brings that same word back to the leadership-followership relationship. And says, followers, stand under your leaders. Hold them up. One of the words we looked at when it was in marriage was show respect. Help them. Encourage them. Listen to them. Help them lead. Have you ever thought of that phrase as a follower? Help them lead. Help them as they try to lead. And of course in that process of helping your leaders, 
the number one word that Peter seems to zoom in on is humble. Be humble as you relate to your leaders. Your viewpoint could be wrong. You might not know the full story and why they made the decision they made or what they're doing and why they're doing it. Be open to what your leaders are saying. It's tough to be a follower just as it's tough to be a leader. But God has orchestrated all of that and we need to trust His plan, which is where Peter takes us. Because it's easy to get worried about leadership on both ends. I, I, I have fortunately been blessed to never deal with a leader in any church I've ever served in who ever said, I got this, I've got it all figured out, I am the perfect leader. I'm sure they exist in churches somewhere. I've never had one. What I have seen much more often is humble men who are trying to lead and who are honestly saying, I don't have all the answers here. I hope God shows us. We've got to pray for God to show us. What do you think we should do? And in that humility, they're trying to lead and anxious about they're not good enough leaders. And I've seen followers who are struggling with leaders and what are they doing and I don't understand. And, and that leader's not perfect and they're not perfect. And, and I'm frustrated with that leader and what do I do with all that? We get anxious on both sides of that relationship. And that's why I find it fascinating the last sentence Peter puts in that section. Verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him, God, because he cares for you. Are we going to get anxious in this church and working together and those who need to lead and those who need to follow? Of course we're going to get anxious, especially in stressful times. And we don't understand everything that's going on and we're not sure the right decision and all of that. The solution isn't, we're going to do it our way. The solution is turn to the Father and say, God, we need your help here. God, I need your help as a leader. God, I need your help as a follower. We need to work together. We need to be this group together as we face the challenges of this world right now. And we turn to the Father. And it's in Him that we realize, God, you got this. The beauty of all this you see is there is one perfect leader. And His name is Jesus Christ. And we can always look to Him. Whether we're a leader or a follower, and in most lives here, we wear both hats, don't we? There's some places we're a follower and there's some places we're a leader. And we have to sort of change those hats depending on what room we're in, what group we're with. But either way, leader or follower in your home, leader or follower, we have Jesus, the perfect leader, to turn to. And to watch, to talk to, to ask for help, to listen to, all of those things because He is the one who does have every answer and is the perfect leader. And He is for us. To me, that song that the group just sang during the offering, and I'd never heard it till just now either, we have that potential to be those overcomers. That is the blood that's in us. 
Now, we may not always be there, but the answer is to turn to Jesus and to ask Him, help us to live as the people He made us to be. Servant leaders, humble sheep, working together, that God leads us into the future. Whatever opposition we face, let's pray. Father, um, it's hard today. It's hard today leading and it's hard today following. And there's just a lot of reasons we're cautious and cynical and skeptical and gun-shy and, and just everything. And no church is perfect. No leaders are perfect. No followers are perfect. But we ask you to help us understand how you want the church to work. And that whatever our hat we wear, leader or follower, our eyes are more than anything else fixed on Jesus. The perfect leader and the perfect follower. And in both of those things, he shows us how we should live today. We pray this in his name. Amen.